Hello, hello, hello. We are Orte Dulce Desi, a podcast for brown women by brown women. I'm your host, Geet. Welcome back to episode seven. Today's topic is Uvalde and school violence in America. Joining us on today's episode are two special guests, Tejal Misra and Viva Jaswal. Tejal is a psychotherapist with a focus on maternal mental health, couples therapy, and family counseling. Her website is www.bewelltherapy.me, and she can be found on Instagram at bewelltherapy. Viba Cheswal is a medical physicist whose life's work is to cure the incurable. Today, Viba will be talking to us as the mother of a fourth grader, Twisha, who's been asking her mom why someone would want to kill us fourth graders. Dejal will be speaking with us as both a therapist and a mom of two beautiful boys living in a purple open carry state. On May 24, 2022, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos fatally shot 19 students and two teachers and wounded 17 other people at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. There have been 948 school shootings since Sandy Hook, 119 shootings since 2018. 27 shootings this year alone, of which two happened after Uvalde. On May 11, 2022, a short video clip started making the rounds on social media. In the video, you can see an Indian American boy, now identified as Sean Prithmani of Copal Middle School in Dallas, Texas, being bullied by a classmate of his. He's seen sitting on a bench and... This classmate of his comes over and uh, demands that he leave. And Sean says, there's literally nobody sitting here. I'm not moving. You can go sit over there. And the boy, the bully, proceeds to put him in a chokehold, push down on him with his elbows, eventually knocking him to the ground. Later, the mother receives a phone call from the school in which she's told that her son was involved in an altercation with another student and was going to be suspended for three days. Once the video was released on social media, it was clear who the perpetrator was and who the victim was. The bully got one day suspension. Thankfully, after researching the case myself, I found out the parents are now seeking legal counsel. School violence in America affects South Asian parents and children and their mental well-being. A 2009 Department of Justice and Department of Education study states that over 54% of Asian American youth reported experiencing bullying. An infographic on the Sikh Coalition website states that 67% of Sikh youth have experienced bullying. A 2020 survey by the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding states that 51% of Muslim families reported that their child had been bullied. We need to address this as a community. A collective voice is important to tackle the issue at hand. Let's listen now to Viba and Tejal share their experiences and expertise. Hello, Orte. <laughs> Hello, Orte. Hello, Orte. Hello, Orte. Hello, Orte. Tejal. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell Hello. us a bit about yourself? <laughs> uh, hi, yeah. So my name is Sejal, and I am a psychotherapist. I uh, am licensed in about four states, so Arizona, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, California. Sometimes I forget. I forget where my clients are, that's for sure. So I graduated from New York University, what feels like a long time ago. Sometimes it feels like yesterday. Um, my niche is essentially couples and uh, maternal mental health. 
So, and I'm also a mom to two little guys, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, one is school-aged. I mean, they're both school-aged, I guess you could say, but one is in elementary school and the other is in preschool. Um, and, that, and I have my own private practice. Do you have a, um, are you on social media with your practice? I am. Um, my practice is Be Well Therapy. And so I have an Instagram page that needs to be more active and um, a website, bewelltherapy.me. Um, I thought about Facebook, but Facebook can be a dumpster fire. Okay, so we're just going to jump right into the issue itself that we're dealing okay. with right now as a country. As a therapist, what goes through your mind when violence like school shootings happen in the U.S.? Uh, as a therapist, my mind, the first thing my mind goes to is the state of the person who committed the crime or, or committed the act of violence or the state of the people. I was in high school when Columbine happened. And even then I was probably what, sophomore or junior. So maybe 15 or 16. And I'm immediately thinking like, who are these people's parents? What were they thinking? What would lead them to do this? And the same applies today. So now a therapist, many, many years later, you know, over what, 20 years later, I am still thinking the same thing. I'm like, I really want to know more about them. I end up deep diving into what I can find out about them as much as possible. And oftentimes that type of information is, you know, not really, it's private or they won't reveal the identity of the individual or the individuals. Um, so I've, I listened to a TED talk years ago by one of the moms of the Columbine shooters. And the whole thing was people just wanted to know how you can tell that your kid is troubled or could do this type of act of violence. And the answer that we all, that she came up with at the end of it all was there was no clear answer. And I've, I gotta say, I've found myself thinking about these things a lot too, because when Columbine happened, I was, I'm older than you. So obviously I was not in high school. I was older, but I also tend to go in a deep dive and try to think about what the person's thinking when they're doing mm -hmm. kind of when these acts are happening I, and what yeah. what is going on in that person's mind that is like throwing them into that it could we say despair I I don't know I don't I'm not yeah. sure, sure. Can call or is it that person's like just experiences that led them to that point right it's like combination of the mind and the circumstances that they're in exactly and um I think Keith and I, I think you and I actually watched that movie together, but remember that movie Dark Knight? Uh, there was a shooting at uh, a theater in Aurora, Colorado, right? Yes. Right. And it was like the opening weekend of that movie. And about a week later, I think we all watched it together. I watched it with Keith. And there was a lot of concern on, are we going to be the target of a mass shooting because this just happened? And I think that's what tends to happen when these large acts of public violence happen, we all think about it, we talk about it, thoughts and prayers, what needs to happen to have this change, and then things go quiet again, and then it happens all over again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We also have Viva with us today. Um, Viva, can you tell us a little about yourself and just, you know, what went through your mind as a mom when you heard the news about the Texas school shooting recently? Yeah, thanks, Sammy. I'm a medical physicist by profession, uh, but at this point of time, I, 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 I simply feel that I can't say anything more about myself as 
just being a mom to a fourth grader who's 10 years old. And it went through my mind a hundred times, should I be telling her or not? But she was preparing for her school next day. And I was like, Swisha, before a teacher would introduce anything like that. And I didn't know whether the teachers are going to talk or not. I decided that, you know, I need to talk to her. So I just, I just talked with her and, and, and I just told her, Swisha, I need to talk to you about it, about a, a news that happened. And she was like, um, about the school shooting? And I was like, yeah, how do you know? She was like, daddy told me that something happened, but he hadn't told her about the full details. She couldn't believe, believe it. I mean, she, her question to me, and I cannot forget these words, was why would they kill us fourth graders? And the moment she used the word us with that, for me, that was the end of all. Like my, my heart broke mm -hmm. into a million pieces and I was like, I couldn't say that to her, that it's not you. For me, it was her, she was there. It was her, her friends. It was all of them hiding under the tables. And it's, yeah. it's not even been like three months for us to go through a yellow alert in her school, which is just a little short of a red alert. And uh, mm -hmm. when that happened, I was in my clinic and I took a half day off and I'm constantly on my phone. I'm telling my husband, should we go outside in the neighborhood of her school? And we wrote to the PTA group asking them like, what's going on with this active shooter situation with this yellow alert at the school? And uh, we were told to keep away and not, not cause any traffic in the area and we will be getting all the updates so this situation resolved in almost four or five hours but just the yellow alert of four or five hours was where my my breath was just stuck it was like i i just don't wish a red alert on us i just don't wish an active shooter drill on us and it's so interesting too that schools now have these yellow and red alerts i don't remember yes going to school here and having anything like that. Yes. Um, like an and, airport, right? Yeah, like I, don't, after I, don't, I don't think I, yeah. The, the first time that I remember was after 9-11 and it was at the airport. Yeah, right. There, I don't remember anything except fire drills. And I'm hearing from other moms of older teenagers. They have now this apathy. They've been through this so much that they don't, it's, to them, it's the norm they've tuned themselves out. That's a different problem that older kids' moms are facing. Deja, what's it like for you? Uh, with a with a kindergarten, well, he just completed kindergarten, so a soon-to-be first grader and a preschooler, um, as a mom, I go straight to not another one. Um, this just seems to happen way, it should never happen, but it happens way too often. And then I go into problem solving mode in a very like extreme sense, or maybe not extreme, but I go straight to the mattresses of like, that's it. Let's just have gather with two other three families. Let's start a hybrid homeschooling situation. We'll hire some private teachers and we'll be done with this. Like we don't need to send our kids to the big old school where things like this may occur. Um, or common. I've, I've heard a couple of other, my friends saying that contemplating that, homeschooling. Yes. When, and that type of thing happened in during the pandemic, right? The people who had the privilege and were able to do something like that did do things like that. So I was like, oh, let's just take that model. 
let's get out of here. Let's get out of the, the school system. And, or I'm like, I tell my spouse, let's, let's just leave the country. <laughs> let's go somewhere where they have better gun reform and uh, better gun laws. And let's just get out of here. And then, as I was saying, these things happen, thoughts and prayers. We all talk about it. We get mad about it. And as Amna, you were saying, there's then there's some apathy, some quiet, and then it happens all over again. Right. And there's no policy and change that goes with the thoughts and prayers. Yes. Right? And yeah. Reba, you were sharing similar thoughts about exactly. I was the just country. Say, you are echoing my thoughts so much. And this is at this point of time, it's not just a thought. Me, my husband, and another family, we are all literally looking at the situation of homeschooling. And uh, my biggest concern was if my daughter would be okay to let go of her friends and, and whether it's going to be a viable situation, you, you worry about your kids' social skills, their, their, the fun they have at school, their friends and every, everybody. But the strangest thing that happened today, I was talking to my daughter and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about how I'm feeling uh, since last one week today with some of the friends tonight is there something you want to say or is there do you see something as a solution and this 10 years old she was like mom do you know this happened in australia once and all the guns are gone from australia so we should either move to australia they i heard that they have taken all the guns away. It took them three years, but all the guns in that country have been put into a shredder. Why can't America make a huge shredder and shred all the guns? What a smarty pants. Yes. And and then because the homeschooling was in my mind and like any other mom, I would like to condition my kid into it. This is going through my mind. And I was like, okay, slowly, I'm going to introduce that idea. So I, I just talked with her again and I was like, Twisha, you remember what happened a, a week ago and my heart and mind is completely taken with the thought that what's going to happen if anything like that falls on us. And she said, if anything like that happens, mama, I think I should be homeschooled. Don't you think so? And I was like, I think that's a terrific idea. And I'm like, my goodness, this kid is like either my perfect genetic material, like who's gotten 100% genes from me because I still have to convince my husband. But she's in my team and she's like, okay for it. She's like, I'll be fine. So that that helped me a lot. Yeah, that's that, that said, there's so many things that's come out of her since we have talked about it. And one more thing that I wanted to say, and I wanted to ask Tejil her opinion about this one, because the, the afterthought that ha- happened after she shared this detail with me, there are two incidents. So one, uh, right on the day when I talked to her about the shootings, um, that night, not the day, the night after which Next day, I know I'll be sending her back to school and it's going through my mind whether I should be sending her back to school or not. So she shared with me, mom, you know, there was a yellow alert in our school one day. So I said, yeah, I remember that was a yellow alert. And she's like, you know, one of one of these friends in my school, like she just gets so concerned with it. 
she just feels so nervous. She was literally clinging to my, to my leg when we were told to do the drill when I was hiding behind my bench. She was clinging to my, my leg and she was like, as if all of us are going to die. And she was like, I'm going to talk to Sophia tomorrow that we all have to bolden up. We all have to not fear so much. So I, I, I didn't have much response at that time. I, I, I told her, you know, I, I don't know, Twisha, what's the right response. Everybody handles scares. Everybody handles fears, fears differently. But what if she was asking for a friend? I mean, what if she was asking for, you, for her own self? So I actually, one of the questions that we have written here, sorry, Vibha, I'm not cutting you off. I'm actually adding to it. So one of the questions that we do yeah. have here is what are some tangible ways South Asian moms and parents can help their children process violence like the school shootings, which would be geared directly to Tejal? Maybe Tejal? Yeah, so as, as Vibha, as you were asking that question, I mean, that is very deep and very thought-provoking. And I think how you handled that was one of the ways I was going to say is that to keep having that conversation. And one of uh, the questions that Geith asked was like specifically towards like South Asian moms, what's a tangible thing or South Asian parents, I guess, could do or caregivers. And I think what the old cultural South Asian trope in, and I'm, and I'm painting broad strokes here, is that you brush things under the rug. If you don't talk about it, then it's not happening type yeah. of thing. So, and, but this is happening and it needs to get talked about. So at age 10, that's age appropriate for you to have a conversation with your child about this type of thing. So it's ask a lot of open-ended questions. So what you did was really great. Like, what do you know about the situation? What have you heard? Um, that way everyone's kind of on the same page and let them guide the conversation. So I think how you handled that was was good. And, and she could be talking about herself and just saying it's about a friend or maybe not, but everyone processes fear differently, you know, like the fight, flight, or flee. Mm-hmm. Like we're all gonna, that we have those basic instincts and, and it's, you don't know till something happens or maybe you know this about yourself, but at her age, maybe she doesn't, mm-hmm. um, how she's going to respond in a situation like that. So- And I think the training is also part of it. When you guys were saying earlier, I grew up in California. So along with fire drills, we had earthquake drills. So now kids have active shooter drills. Now these active, but but about these active shooter drills, uh, I feel like some of our, I mean, we're going to see a change in trend. We are going to see some of these kids actually standing up, just like some of the teachers who stood up. My daughter just told me if this is going to happen in my class I'm going to just kill that guy it's like I'm going to just pounce on that guy whereas the shooting drill doesn't tell them to pounce on anyone the shooting drill is for them to hide hide away but these kids are getting that in them that you know they want to take care of the situation they're they're 10 and they they think they can do it Tejal you're going to Add to. So I, what I was going to, and that was something that I've thought about as well. So recently at my, my son is in, um, the older one is in elementary school, but the, the upper school is right next door. And there was a, this, some prankster child from like the UK who was calling schools in my son's area and claiming that there was going to be violence. He was going to hurt the school and, and they, they caught him. And it was just some kid with, who has, who needs his own analysis 
but on why they were doing that. But anyway, so this was happening. And, and as a parent, you're freaked out. So I had the conversation with my kid and I had to have this, like along the same vein of what you're saying, Viba, I had to have this conversation in the car. That way he couldn't see my face, but I, because they're not doing active shooter drills. And um, at this point, and I would told him, I was like, if you hear that someone wants to hurt the school or hurt somebody at the school to tell a teacher or someone you trust and the, the, the reason to want to tell authority or like that ability to want to tell authority disappears as kids get older. So that needs to be like reiterated because kids sometimes are like, I can do it, or they don't trust an adult or they don't want to talk to an adult about it as they get older. Um, but that was one thing, but I told my son that if he hears loud noises that sound like fireworks or firecrackers to kind of hit the floor, just kind of look around, be aware and to not try to go looking for the sound. And um, at age six, I mean, they tell us their personalities pretty early as a mom, we can figure this out, but he already has some hero tendencies of like, I'll figure it out, I'll do it. And I was, and it's not, and I don't wanna take that away from him and I wanna preserve his innocence in a way, but I didn't, you like, but that's, I want him to know that there's a protocol. I don't know what that protocol is, but my job as a parent is to keep him as safe as possible. And as I was telling him this, tears are like streaming down my face. And that's why I had to do it in the car. So he wouldn't see my face because he's wondering why I'm telling him this. And he's too young to watch the news or for us to tell him what happened, but the day will come and I have to be prepared. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's how I, I, I handled that. I don't know if I handled it best, but I, my rule is always, if I can, if I can explain it, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So the mom's dilemma of, especially being a, a mom of two daughters, the dilemma, the, the dilemma of uh, keeping the heroism uh, intact in them, make, raising these girls to be strong women of tomorrow, and then telling them not to stand up to the situation. But to, to me, so, so my answer to her was that at no cost, at any situation, she's going to take things in her own hands because her life is way, way valuable. And what she mimicked, what she does may be mimicked by other kids. And there's no way they will um, escape that situation alive because these guns, so I had to then explain to her the severity of this assault weapon. I said, it's not a gun that is shooting one bullet at a time. This gun is shooting six bullets per second. This is no way. So, so I had to explain that to her and which is, which is something that creates so much anger in my mind and, 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 all the just even the fact that you had to like explain that like the difference between the guns yes and and i have this is making me so upset yes and i I have to have these conversations with her as closed doors now and my house has never had closed doors my three years three and a half years old who's super smart because she's a covid kid who's she would join us and she's like who's using guns who's getting killed mama 
And I'm like, okay, okay. Now this is a three and a half years old. She doesn't need to be here. And then she's banging at the door, like why she's not involved in the conversation. So then Tejal, I do the same thing that you do. We go around in the car like we did today. Yeah. Um, one more situation I want to ask you about. Uh, I have a, one of those two. I have a three and a half year old. Yeah. But my three and a half year old is not nearly as verbal as your three and a half year old <laughs> presents to be. I think so. that's a blessing. I hope he's uh, he's absorbing all the <laughs> stuff that comes his way. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he definitely is. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, uh, I spoke to the three year old when she's nowhere like a three years old. She could part be she could be a part of this podcast and have a conversation. She said hello, Amna. <laughs> I actually wanted to go back to the question that we were getting to and Tejal, you had mentioned to, you know, one of the ways that South Asian moms and parents can help their children process violence is continuing to talk and not sweeping those conversations under the rug, especially Mm -hmm. kind of at a later age, maybe 10, you mentioned. Um, Can you maybe touch on maybe two or three more that you feel like are, you know, just worth sharing with moms out there? Yeah, keep having the conversation was one of them. And then something else I was going to mention was, um, depending on how close the violence is to them, because you don't know, I mean, there's the, there's, it ranges, right? It's a spectrum from doing an active shooter drill to uh, something actually happening to maybe they watch the news, all those things. So if they did experience some loss, letting them process that loss um, in any way that, you know, cause it's a grief. So I know my, one of my, my cousin's best friends lost her daughter in the Parkland shooting. So like, what does that look like? Um, so talk about your friend, talk about that person that lost that you, that the, the loss that you experienced, that would be one of them. And um, seeking out mental health services, cause that, it might get to that. Um, getting together with the other families and and having a dialogue, knowing that everybody's kind of on the same page. I live in a state in a in a purple state, so where you can carry a concealed weapon. So knowing that I think being vigilant, that's another thing you can do. So that wasn't I was kind of like all over the place. I don't know if my my uh, advice was exactly very concrete. But I also, I have a six-year-old. So for, for my age, for Viba, it's a little bit different for you with a 10-year-old, but I wouldn't re- recommend having the news on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been talking to a couple of friends, just trying to get some, I guess, you know, feedback from moms. Um, a lot of them, I feel there's like a sense of hesitancy almost to talk to them, their children about this. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes because, Children are weird. They're like sponges, right? Yeah. They're seeing and hearing things from all over the place. And sometimes I wonder of that subconscious or unconscious almost processing of what's happening in children. Um, Like if you're hearing it about it in school, but it's just in fleeting and you're not really engaging in the conversation. Is that having an effect on you? Should the parent be talking to their children about it? Should they be asking questions like, hey, did you hear about this? Just to see and make sure, because I mean, it's like the parent is uncomfortable, the child isn't talking about it. Who is that helping? <laughs> so I, I also want to say, and this is something that I'm personally doing, is uh, taking an active part in the school. And I'm not saying that my presence there is going to prevent 
some violence. I'm not like Captain America, but my vigilance will keep me, I'll, I'll have a better understanding of the ins and outs of the school, people to contact, how things go, how they're, you know, so I found out recently that my child's, my older child's elementary school, and I only know this because I'm, I'm getting involved, has not re-signed their security contract for this coming year, for the 2022-2023 school year. So if I wasn't involved, I wouldn't know. So I'm emailing the headmaster, you know, I'm telling other parents I'm getting involved. So that that's something that I would also tell um, parents to do, South Asian parents. And I also, I'm going to, I'm painting broad strokes again. I was raised by immigrants. They didn't get involved. Right. Right. They dropped unless you off at school. A, unless they it was a report you. card, post report. Exactly. Card. <laughs> <laughs> they told you to get A's and then they told you that's what they did. They picked you up. They dropped you off. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, being a, an immigrant. So I will say I'm not that type of immigrant, but I know other immigrants to answer your concern or question is that immigrants are scared. The reason they don't get involved immigrant mothers, immigrant fathers, we're scared. We're, we don't want to, we want to lie low. (laughs) When I'm saying I'm we, we, I'm not talking about myself, but I'm talking generally about most lower middle-class South Asian families is that they don't want to attract attention. So one of the reasons why they don't want to get involved is they're scared. Scared of what? Yeah. But I scared think of also the establishment, stems- scared of yeah. the white people, scared of people will trap you into something. That's just a fear. Paranoia. It's also paranoia to me. I yeah. think that also it's comes from that myth. It's, it's yeah. just our reality. I understand why undocumented parents wouldn't get involved in schools makes sense. But, but- we all come from very chaotic. Some of us come from troubled countries. So it's always like well, whatever this but, is better. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's hard yeah, to so let go of that. What, You're right. I want to talk yeah. about that, too, because when I took my daughter to Pakistan, we were going to stay there and she was going to only come back during holidays. But we went there and this was going to this was a very fancy rich people's school uh, with security and all. And I took her there and then. Marriott bombing happened in Islamabad in 2008 and then security was enhanced and my daughter kept she's used to American schools she kept asking questions of like why are there police outside why is this and I thought to myself this is I wanted to do this this is not her life I sent her back to America and now I say schools were not safe in Pakistan (laughs) and schools are not safe here yeah and schools aren't yeah I mean that's that that old idea and that's why I was I didn't mean to generalize so much or, or make it like a stereotype but I will speak to my parents and many of the my friends parents that I know they weren't going to PTO or PSO right. meetings they weren't and they didn't know what was going on I would right. I was the one and we were parentified right like our generation was really parentified we were teaching our parents in many ways so like my parents didn't know like I'm telling them you know who my what my principal's name is and um what time to pick me up Sejal what is the word that you just used parentified what does that mean oh uh parentified is when you have to do part of the parenting for your parents and um Sammy you're familiar with that word yeah Yeah, so for sure uh for example with that word 
I kind of feel I, I, I feel a little association with that now, even though I've never heard the word. Uh, but I I think there's a little bit of this going on in my family too. I mean, even though it's been 22 years in the U.S., um, but I'm I'm a first time parent here, and um, actually. Um, Tejal, after listening to how involved you are, I think I never gave it that much importance. So I, I feel like, you know, it's super important now. Take away. <laughs> yes, yes. In general, uh, really, like, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm one of two people of color at our P PSO meeting, and there's yeah. 30 people there, because um, where I live, that's pretty common. Yeah. But so if I don't go, then like, then it's just, it's just a, it's just a bunch of yogurt. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that the way I feel about color, Twisha doesn't feel like that about color. So I, I, I fear for her way more than anybody else. I feel the, the fear of being a South Asian person here, fear of being a brown person, even though I've, I've personally never um, encountered an unsafe situation. In fact, if, if I ever value my life here in the US, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I feel so much freedom and I want my kids, my daughters to feel the same kind of freedom when they're yeah. whatever they want to wear, they can wear wherever they want to go, they can go, um, except <laughs> I, I've told them, except drugs and gangs, everything would be acceptable. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure all of us at some point when we were growing up were colorblind. We didn't realize that we were different. Yes. yes. Yeah. And the oh, world totally. makes sure that you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the kids have a knack of letting you know that you're not one of them. And, and right. the more polarized the, the, our environment gets, I think the more it's going to go back to that. It's almost like we're regressing. We're all feeling like that, right? We're, even Whether we have children or not. My daughter is 20 year old. But it's just scary. The thought of her going back to university as a brown young woman, I'm always scared. And that's not what we're supposed to do. I mean, mothers are always worrying and ha have irrational fears about their children anyway. <laughs> but to add to that, society should be helping us raise these children. And yet we do nothing. So I want to address these two questions um, with Dejil, just to get some advice from her. It's not just violence, right? Like, I mean, sorry, it's not just gun violence. It's also worrying whether your child is going to is being bullied at school and may be at risk of suicide. So mm -hmm. this is also a very palpable fear, I believe, that's happening right now, especially with social media's rise. And I've just been seeing ridiculous numbers coming up in the New York Times time and time again. So I asked Dejil, um, what are the signs to look for? in your child if they're being bullied? Because many a times children who are being bullied don't discuss it with their parents and mm -hmm. less so with, I believe, immigrant parents, okay? Um, well, I guess I would say with your child, um, any unexplainable in injuries on them, that'd be like a, a sign of bullying lost or destroyed clothing or items. Like if they come and tell you like something that was valuable to them that is missing now, which you're, kind of skeptical about as a parent because you're like oh that's something that they would normally keep pretty safe why is that not there uh frequent headaches or stomach aches where they're like kind of feigning illness or that they don't want to go to school um when their eating habits change mm. like that's a sign um when they have difficulty going to sleep or frequent nightmares 
mm-hmm. like that kind of a disruption. Their grades, you know, in the is another sign. Um, having like a loss of interest in things that they were once interested in, or like a loss of interest in their schoolwork, can often be a sign of bullying, or like a combination of these things. So a sudden so loss, similar of- to like depression. Yes, actually, very similar to sudden loss of friends or um, avoidance of certain social situations. Like they used to do this one thing, you know, go to the mall with their friends. I don't know if kids go to the mall anymore, but, and now they don't want to do that anymore. You're like, oh, that's weird. You were just into that maybe a couple weeks ago, um, or you played soccer all the time. Now you don't want to go play soccer. Like what's going on here? Um, feeling helpless or decreased self-esteem. Uh, and which, as Geith mentioned, is also a symptom or a sign of depression um, and self-destructive behaviors like self-harm or running away from home or talking about suicide. And those are much more obvious and uh, like the gross you'll see. That, but the other more subtle ones are like loss of appetite or faking illness. And I think a lot of that just goes back to knowing your kid and vigilance and dialogue. Right. Like communication is key. Yeah. So that would, that, those are some signs of, of bullying, but that could be occurring. I was asking my, my spouse this question before the podcast, because he's a paid subspecialist, but it's part of the problem. He's subspecialist. So like, he's like, what? I'm dealing with kids who are intubated. Mm. And, and as a parent, what do you do if you notice bullying, you're, you're suspecting bullying in your child? Like, how do you approach the topic? And what are the right steps to take? I, it's talking to your kid, um, finding out if they'll talk to you and then being okay with that. They may not come to you. They may talk to someone else that they trust. Um, not letting your own feelings go into it because as a parent, your own um, feelings of like guilt or your, maybe you have a history of being bullied. That's going to come up and not to let that cloud what your child is saying, honoring the fact and validating that your kid is talking to you that's huge because you want to make sure that that's really emphasized. So they understand that you're there for them. So keep, so they'll come back. You want to make sure that you keep that door open. Uh, Cause as Keith was saying, not a lot of kids will talk about it because their fear of getting in trouble, fear of, Oh, nothing will change. So really fear validating being dismissed, that right? being dismissed mm-hmm. or uh, don't tell them to ignore it. Um, I know a lot of parents say that, like, oh, just ignore it, but it validates that what's happening is okay. Right. Yeah, I do think with like Desi parents too, immigrant parents, same with me. I think that model minority myth is something yes. that we double down yeah. on. And that's honestly why we're like, our parents are a little afraid to like step into that role of like talking to schools and like getting involved. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, Tejal, what you just mentioned of like, even just talking to your children in my head, I was going, Daisy parents, if you're listening, you better start <laughs> talk, talking now. <laughs> talk to your kids. Tejal, I'm going to repeat some of the things that the ways that you said, because I think that's really important. And I'm really glad that you mentioned those. So continue talking to your children, let them process loss and let them grieve, um, seek mental health care, have a dialogue with other parents that are maybe going through similar situations, being vigilant, and maybe taking part in school in the neighborhood um, to really sort of be part of that school community as well, where you can take part in that and be sort of a little closer to what's happening on the ground. 
Um, I think those are really great key takeaways for all, all parents out there. And I'm not a parent, but sometimes I feel like a parent to like my nieces and nephews. And, you know, these are conversations that I'm having with them too. So I really appreciate, you know, Viba and Tejo, both of your perspectives. Um, it's been a really great conversation today. It has. Well, thank you. This was great. Ladies, I love you all. and that brings episode 7 to an end thank you for tuning in the youth of today are the future of tomorrow hold your children tight give them a hug believe them listen to them validate them share stories and time it's important I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you had a few takeaways from Tejal and Vibba's experiences. Please tune in next week when we talk about the next topic, self-care. Please don't forget to rate us and please follow us on Instagram at 3-A-U-R-A-T-E-N to stay updated on the episodes as they come out. This is Geet signing off. <laughs>